from the studios of WHUPLP in Hillsboro, North Carolina, and it'll be the last time for a while you hear us say that. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged In your trachea Goodness gracious bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the wait is up Fight, It's Sunday, Mother's Day, as I'm recording this, and I want to send a special shout-out to all you moms out there, especially moms who train, especially my mom, Ginny Shaw, who came and trained with me, Seth Champ, and Hamid Sanders when she was in North Carolina a couple of years ago. And I'm in North Carolina, but only for the next 72 hours or so. That's right. This is going to be the last show that we record in the WHUP studio, at least for a while. And I'm really excited that I'm going to have another expatriate North Carolina Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, Rob Austin, on the show to join me. Rob the Lord Humongous, as you may know him from his show, The Big Jiu-Jitsu Show, you can check them out online at bjjshow.com, stopped in on his way to a Mother's Day gathering. So me and Rob had a great conversation about what it's like to train, what it's like to teach, about why Rob took one MMA fight and why he's probably not taking any others, about the intersection between professional wrestling and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, that's not a rib, and all kinds of other stuff. I'm very excited to bring you this show. But I also have to say a special thank you to everybody in the North Carolina Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu scene. I've been trying to get around and train with all of my friends that I'm not going to have a chance to train with for a while because we're moving on Wednesday morning. going to drive across the country to Bellingham, Washington, which is about as far away as you can go and still remain in the lower 48. It's an amazing place full of really good Jiu-Jitsu and um, full of some of those beautiful natural resources anywhere in the world. I lived there for a few years and I'm excited to go back, even as it's bittersweet, to be leaving all my friends out here. But don't worry, I'll be back. Both me and Betsy love the area. Betsy, my wife, is from here originally. And um, I have some special plans to come back for some special events, and we're going to leave some of those for a surprise. Uh, so don't worry, I won't be a stranger. But I just want to say so many thanks to everybody who's welcomed me into their academy, into their community, and all you people who welcome us into your audio earphones every week uh, for the show. The show is going to continue. Lourdes Cantu is going to continue to do interviews from her home base in Charlotte, North Carolina, while I'll do a bunch of interviews from Bellingham, from nationally where I'm going to be traveling and elsewhere. Thanks to everyone who's made the show such a success. Um, I had no idea how big it was going to get or how many people were going to listen. And each and every one of you, I want to say how grateful I am. And right on the other side of this break, me and Rob Austin are going to talk about being guys who got our start here in North Carolina and how a piece of us will always be here in the North Carolina Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu scene. U.S. Grappling Greensboro went great. I refereed the event and had a tremendous time, even though I got some funny looks for bringing Chelsea Kurtzman a giant framed art piece for her birthday while walking in in my ref shirt. But don't worry, whether you're a referee, whether you're a competitor, whether you're a coach, whether you just like watching the best-run tournaments around, there are more opportunities to come and compete. Columbia, South Carolina, June 30th. You can register online at usgrappling.com. Just a couple of weeks after that, Charlotte, July 14th. There's also a Charlotte referee training, so if you're a purple belt or a above and want to become a certified ref you can check that out as well that 
Then just a couple weeks after that, they return to Richmond, Virginia, July 28th. Richmond is always one of the biggest and best tournaments. You get all the terrific schools from Richmond, Revolution BJJ, Upstream BJJ, Richmond BJJ, as well as the D.C. folks from the DMV and all of North Carolina coming up to compete. You can register online at usgrappling.com to save yourself some money. It's a tremendous deal. I think it's about 85 bucks if you pre-register. So go to usgrappling.com and be sure to tell them we sent you. So we're back in the studio with my good friend Rob Austin, a.k.a. Rob the Lord Humongous, of the famous Big Jiu-Jitsu podcast. Rob, welcome back to North Carolina. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm really happy to be back and uh, getting to hang out with you. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you here, man. And so tell us a little bit, for listeners that maybe didn't hear the first episode we did with you, tell us a little bit about the Big Jiu-Jitsu podcast. Well, the Big Jiu-Jitsu podcast is uh, something me and my friend Sean started up. We were kind of just... Uh, like we have something we want to say. We're we're a blue belt, or actually at the time we were a white belt and a blue belt, and we have really strong opinions. Why not let people know what a white belt and a blue belt want to say? And you know, at the time, maybe not the uh, not the most uh, reputable source for uh, BJJ uh, advice or whatnot. But uh, then we started interviewing people, and we we we're not really we don't go for all the big guys. We want to talk to everybody who does jujitsu. That's just something that we wanted to stick to. Like you know, go from people who are just like everyday practitioners all the way up to like, you know, people that you see on YouTube and in the tournaments and you like turn on flow grappling just to watch those people. So that's pretty much what we do. Yeah. As somebody that does community radio myself, like I know that the big jujitsu archive is full of people that you have heard of, right? Kurt Osiander, like really big names, old school guys, the people that you see competing at the highest level, but also just folks that have interesting stories, folks that have good stories to tell about jujitsu. And so you're based in Germany. Yeah. And uh, how long have you been out there? I've been in Germany now for about uh, a little over two and a half years at this point. Mm-hmm. And that's a Wiesbaden. Wiesbaden, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a little uh, west of Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. Did I pronounce it right? Yeah, you did. Oh, amazing. Uh, yeah, pat on the back. And so for those, you also run your own jiu-jitsu club out there. And and you've been doing that for about two and a half years as well? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, maybe save a month or two. But as soon as I got there, kind of wanted to start my own thing just based on some stuff that was going on. I was like, you know, I, I really wanted to give people an opportunity to train. You know, I've, I've been really fortunate in that um, when I started jiu-jitsu, um, you know, uh, the instructor Brian Mingy, who's a, a long-time jiu-jitsu guy out here, he uh, he helped me get started, and he was like a really helpful coach, not just in jiu-jitsu, but like life lessons and stuff like that. And I want to be able to give an opportunity for young soldiers and family members and who may not be able to go out and you know, afford to pay for jujitsu lessons to come in, train, and it gives me an excuse to roll all the time too. It sounds like a good thing all around. And, you know, Brian is a, kind of a legend in these parts and he founded TFTC Academy, yeah, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. So Brian, you know, black belt under Hoist Gracie, super tough guy, really well-respected black belt. And so that's, that's very cool. So you've been running your own program as well as running your own podcast. But one of the things I most want to talk to you about is you've also managed to maintain a connection with the North Carolina Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu community where, where you really came up. And I want to talk, you know, you've interviewed a lot of prominent members of this community, Brad Acosta, Mary Holmes, had them on the big Jiu-Jitsu show. And how have you been able to maintain connections over here while you're so many thousands of miles away? Well, I think um, one of the the easy parts of being able to do that is that everybody here has been so like welcoming. I mean, I wasn't, you know, like I started here, 
but I didn't do the majority of my like growth in Brazilian jiu-jitsu here. So like, you know, training with uh, Brian and then like Jason Colberth and uh, Billy Dowie, mm-hmm. they kind of um, gave me like this idea of like, this is what a coach does. This is how an instructor should be. This is, you know, like, um, you know, this works this way for this reason. You should be doing jiu-jitsu for this reason. So it, it's kind of been like a measuring stick for wherever I go. So I always go, well, is this person they teach like Brian? Yeah, they teach like Brian. Okay, I, I can I can get down with this. But um, just being able to come back and say, hey, like, um, is it cool if I drop in and train? Mm-hmm. And they're fine with it. So being able to talk to people so, like, you know, uh, Randy Wark, the one of the instructors over at TFTC, yeah. we talk occasionally. I rolled with Randy this week. Nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. they said, yeah, I saw that you were uh, teaching out there. Yeah, yeah. Brad, Brad had me out, and like he told me he'd set me up some fun rolls, and me and Randy rolled like first thing, which nice. was awesome. Yeah, 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 really good dude. He is. So like we'll chat and stuff, and just you know, um, some of the guys over at TFTC, and then believe it or not, some of the guys like I even started with like Trevor Burns, he's still around, and uh, Trevor Hayes is obviously still here too. So get random weird messages from them or Facebook comments. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's still welcoming. I don't come back and feel like a stranger. I mean, there are different people. There are people that, you know, came up and whatnot, but it's still, like, it's still a very welcoming community, and it still feels like home to me. Mm. Well, yeah, well, we're, we're, we love to welcome you back. And I will just say definitively, those are not the first times that the words Trevor Hayes and random weird message have been used in a <laughs> sentence. So, yeah, I saw Trevor this week, too, which was excellent. A lot of the listeners know that I'm, I'm moving to Bellingham, Washington, and so that's part of the reason I wanted to ask you about that is maintaining connections. And uh, I'm sort of making the rounds and, you know, training with a lot of my friends that I don't get a chance to – that I'm not going to get a chance to train with for a while. Yeah, I mean, it's depressing to a point, too, where you're like you, – you always go back to the good stuff and you think about the good times and how – they kind of joke about in the military, too, where it's like your next duty station is going to be better than the one you're at, but it'll never be as good as your last one. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, there will never be a gym as good as TFTC. It could be like, you know, hey, we've got like – a masseuse on call for like getting you know your shoulders right and you know we've got like you like all you can have like anything in this gym and it's still not going to be like the the family and the uh the feeling of like starting out there but the one you're at is like oh it's not that bad i bet the, the next one will be probably pretty good too but then you always go back to what you know and all the good stuff and it's it's not the same and it's depressing but it gets better like just with anything else yeah, nostalgia is a powerful force, and it's funny that you would mention this today because just today, like I don't know if you ever trained with Jake Whitfield in his barn, Mm-mm. but here in North Carolina, I think you were gone at that point. But Jake Whitfield had uh, had an outbuilding behind his house that we called the barn. It's basically his barn. You know, you put down some mats, and uh, and Jake has turned babyface. He used to be a heel for a long time, but like <laughs> when he was a heel, he would, he would and we would go out to train. You know, Jake's old school, very tough guy. Yeah. In addition to very technical jujitsu, and so at the barn. If you had, if you wanted to do hard training in the barn, he would lock the doors, shut the windows, wouldn't let you turn on a fan. So it gets, it's North Carolina in the summer, right? Yeah. And so some of the hardest training, probably the hardest training I've ever had in my life was in that barn. And I have all these stories about like, oh, I trained with Jake for two hours. I went out and I drank four liters of water before I felt good enough to drive home. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and all of his dudes are, you know, yeah. incredible fundamentals and killers. And what's funny about it is like objectively, these experiences were really rough experiences. But we all have these really fond memories of the barn. And just today, Jake posted a picture from like 
four years ago or five years ago, I forget, that shows like the mercury rising up to about 98 degrees inside the barn. He's like, I miss the barn. I was like, you know, I do too, man. <laughs> Which, Even though it's just awful and terrible and, you know, you, you always dreaded going there, but you still feel fine afterwards and just think back about, oh, yeah, I miss it. Still like a sick part of me misses it. <laughs> exactly. Just, oh, man. it's Yeah, that's how it was like. I really miss having like somebody uh, make me do like ten rounds of pads, and then we roll for an hour, and then I have like zero skill. So my my two moves are <laughs> get mounted and get and being the bottom part of side control and get submitted. So yeah, that was that was always good. Yeah, yeah. My my pulling mount was excellent back in the day. You know, some people pull guard. <laughs> I pulled mount. But yeah, like, it, it 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 is fascinating, you know, because the you know the the way that our memory works. Because I I, co- I totally agree with you. There will be like I might, you know, th- th- you always have like a jujitsu home, right? Yeah. And and we're lucky here in this community, like you mentioned, that like most of the local academies are super welcoming and like it's almost like you know your your home gym is is mom and dad's house, and then you have a bunch of cousins that you yeah. really like to go and play with, which is which which is fun as well. So do you train with, with other folks in Germany very much? Do you, is there a lot of cross-training? Do folks come visit your gym? Yeah. Um, so we we have a pretty good relationship. There's a gym in Hanau, which is like uh, 30 to 45 minutes uh, east of where I'm at. And it's a uh, next-level gym. It's run by a guy named Dennis Hankman. He's, uh, he's a uh, no-gi guy. He'll, okay. he'll put the gi on occasionally, but usually when we hang out, it's always like, uh, do you mind if we do no-gi? I'm absolutely fine with it. Mm-hmm. Got to train both. That's, that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. But um, we'll go there. He'll come there. That's mainly the gym we cross-train a lot with. Um, I've gone to a few other places around the area. So, like, um, there's another jiu-jitsu gym in Wiesbaden run by – I think he's a, he's a brown belt now. So it's um, he's in a kung fu school. He's an all right guy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just occasionally just going through, like, open mats. Like, there's a, an alliance gym in Frankfurt mm-hmm. that our guys will go to occasionally, MMA Spirit in Frankfurt. Uh, going so far as driving all the way down to Stuttgart to train in uh, some of the gyms down there as well, but um, a lot of cross training usually. But the majority of people who come into our gym are usually uh, TDY from another base. Okay, so, or uh, that's temporary duty. I apologize. <laughs> so Acronyms, pal. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> so they'll they'll come and they'll roll with us. I'll get a message on the group page like, hey, you know, I'm coming from. Like, uh, Georgia, is it cool if I come in and train for a week and a half or two weeks? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Come on in. We're here this time. It's gi night. Just If you need a gi, we got one. So don't even worry about it. But it, there, there seems to be a lot of cross-train. A lot of other gyms do it too. And I mean, it's in, in all fairness, it's really no different than the States. Like, tournaments, everybody sees each other. You know, there's always the occasional, like, yeah, that guy's kind of a, a jerk. But, you know, like, everybody else is pretty – you know, welcoming. We try to talk to each other the best we can because my German's not as good as uh, my English, but everybody's pretty uh, understanding when I try to say something and don't destroy me when I uh, when I mispronounce something or get the entire sentence wrong. But it's it, it's yeah. There's a, it's just a really cool community out there too. Not as big as out here, but still pretty close. Your English is or your German is probably better than my English, uh, but uh, but yeah, like. I, you know, as you and I were talking off air, one of my friends and the guys I trained with at my gym, Tom Amenta, is just currently launching on a jiu-jitsu road trip through Europe. And so I was w- wondering if we could take a couple minutes to talk about what 
um, about how to be a good guest when you train and travel at other people's gyms. And then we could talk maybe specifically about like whether there are specific aspects of Europe that are different from here that folks should know if they decide they want to make a jiu-jitsu road trip of that nature. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, there's like a – maybe it's a lot of trial and error I found out. But um, I think a lot of the stuff that you do even stateside for like being a good jiu-jitsu per- like a guest is – you know, kind of crosses over. I think the big thing I've learned and seen is be quiet. Just be quiet. Let the person teach. Let them, you know, like if they if they ask, you know, like if you if you have some rank on you, like you know, if you came in and I showed something, I'll be like Jeff, do you can hook me up with something you've noticed or like something? Else? Some places will do that, and that's cool. But don't be the don't give a white belt seminar when you uh, <laughs> go to somebody else's gym. It doesn't really go over too well, and. Uh, some of the places over there, it's um, in Europe. They're kind of more of uh, we won't politely ask you to leave. We'll beat you up and then you can leave. As uh, as uh, I've seen once and heard about a few more times. But um, that's like the big thing for me. Just come in with an open mind. Everybody does something different. Nobody really has the hundred percent definite like answer to each move. So you know, be open to that. I think. Um, if everybody cleans the mats, please help out with cleaning the mats. Some places you got to roll the mats up, so I'm sorry. You got to help roll up the mats. Stay and talk to the people. Some of the cultures are a little different. So, like in Germany, if you ask somebody how they're doing, like, you know, like oh, hey, how's it going? They will tell you everything that is going on in their life. I think that, that was my, uh, I went to the first place I trained when I got to Germany. It was the uh, the guy in the Kung Fu school. Um, I sat down with the guy. I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? Oh, you know, it's going pretty well. Um, I injured my knee last week, and what happened was I had to go to the hospital. And so I'm sitting there for 15 minutes listening to this guy's, like, story about – I feel bad for him. He, like, hurt his knee real bad and had to go to the hospital, and his dad was taking care of him. And he was having trouble going to work because of it, just because I said, oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's something being – like, if you really want to know how they're doing, ask them how they're doing. Yeah, cultural but, differences are important to know things like that because here in America, you know, it's uh, the, linguists call it phatic speech, P H A T I C, which is like just a it's sort of a thing where you give a sign, the guy gives a sign back, like, "Hey, I acknowledge we're talking," and you acknowledge back, "Hey, what's up? Oh, nothing much, man. How are you?" Yeah. And then you go about your conversation. Whereas in other cultures, it's like you know, they may mean something different. Like I know that there are other cultures where it's really rude to ask. Um, what you do for a living yeah. because it's like they're inquiring about your social status and stuff like that. So, yeah, my, and my wife, uh, you know, it, it should be apparent, like not only because you and I are both podcast guys, but just from listening to me that I like to talk. And as my wife always tries to <laughs> remind me, you don't get in trouble for things you don't say. So, which is, which is something to remember when you're visiting somebody else's gym, I think. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing I can recommend as well is – Dependent upon where you're going. So if you're if you're going to Germany, the best thing you can do, try your best to learn a few German phrases. The like trying to speak to somebody in their like native language actually really does go a long way. And um, I found that like going into like a restaurant or whatever and trying to order in German, they'll you know show mercy. Like it's okay, we can do this in English. But as opposed to like um, there's some stores that my wife you know went in with her friends and her friend went up, said something just straight in English, and the guy's like, oh, I am i don't speak English, sorry. But, you know, going back later, my wife tried it in German, the guy spoke English perfectly. Like, it's just, it's it's funny like that, because 
I guess maybe it's uh, like you're a guest in somebody's house. You try to follow the rules. So like pick up a few phrases and it should help out. You and another thing you and I were talking off air about was um, BJJ Globetrotters, which yeah. is a great organization that I know you're involved with. They've actually just put out this awesome thing that's free. That's a, a phrase book in a jujitsu phrase yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not just like I was trying to learn like where's the bathroom? Can I have another beer? <laughs> you know the really key phrases. Yeah, absolutely. But like, but but if you check out BJJ Globetrotters, they have a you know how how you say guard pass in Estonian or thing things like that, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's um you know I was kind of. I'm maybe apprehensive about going to a globetrotter camp and, you know, like I'm going to be honest about it because I, I saw pictures and it was like uh, either you did jiu-jitsu or you partied and, you know, I'm I'm not like 23 anymore, man. I can't do all this partying. But, um, you know, I went to my first – well, let me take that back. I went to the Heidelberg open mat. I didn't go – I didn't participate in the open mat because I didn't pay for the, you know, the camp. I feel weird about that. So, like – I sat there to see, like visit my students. I hadn't seen them all week. It was a Friday. We don't have class on Friday. And one of my students, she was trying for a purple belt because I was a purple belt. Oh, I am a purple belt, and I can't give somebody a purple belt mm-hmm. for you know obvious reasons. But so I said, yeah, I'll come down. I'll watch and I'll see how it goes. So went down there, watched it. There's like 300 people on the mat, like at once, just open mat. And I'm like, oh my god, this is crazy. I'm like, there's white belts over there, and there's like seven black belts over here and i'm like this is really cool and i said hey why don't you stay we're gonna go out and get dinner go and have drinks and they're just a really solid group of people that you know people i i hadn't even met and they're just like hey you know come on let's have a drink together come on like you know where are you from what do you do oh cool i'm from maine you know just everywhere everybody from everywhere was uh was talking about their jujitsu what they do, how much fun they have. I should come to a camp. So, like, of course, just if you nag me enough, <laughs> I'll do it, okay? Yeah, like, yeah. All right, fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. So I went to the Austria camp, the winter camp, this past January. And uh, I was like, this is this is great. I'm I'm hooked. So it's, it's one of the smaller camps because mm-hmm. it was like 100-something people. But, yeah, I know. That was kind of my reaction, too. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was like, this is really cool. No problem. No, everybody, you know, like in a group of hundred people, you're you're bound to run into somebody that you're not going to get along with. Sure, that's just the way life is. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it happened. Maybe I didn't run into the person, but I got along with everybody I met. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I know that's the same thing, but also maybe you know, a couple shots of Jim Bean. I <laughs> called him. I uh, had a bottle of redneck uh, redneck juice that. Um, one of my students gave me, and then I brought it. And everybody's like, "What's that?" I'm like, "Let's let's. I'm going to show you what this is." And then everybody got, was a little more friendly. I think after <laughs> after that, man, that's fantastic. You know, I have never been to a BJJ Globetrotters camp, but ba- based on your recommendation, man, I would love to check one out. Like, I, you know, I, I don't participate in the community all that much. I subscribe to the newsletter. You know, if I'm yeah. going someplace, I'll try and check out gyms and stuff. But I do think it's really cool that there's this organization that's essentially devoted to, let's all get together, do jujitsu, forget about gym politics and just train, which yeah. I think is great. It is really cool. And I mean, the other, the other cool part about it is, um, actually, uh, through the BJJ globe Trotters, I met my uh, coach, Joshua Cooksley, who's actually a, uh, a three stripe Brown belt, under Neil Owen with uh, Infinity Martial Arts, and he's in Australia. So, but he he's like come out three times already just to get training in with me and help me out and whatnot. And we have pretty much a similar attitude and outlook on jujitsu. So I'm like, yeah, you know, do you mind if I be your student if you're willing? He's like, yeah, that's cool. But then we've also had like um, two or three black belts come through our gym. 
to teach for free just because they're just outstanding individuals. Like Mike Volata, who used oh, to yeah. teach at uh, L.A. Boxing down in Cary. And we didn't make the connection until like he was on the mat. He was like, yeah, I used to teach at this uh, boxing gym in Cary, North Carolina. And I sat there and I go, I raised my hand. Was it L.A. Boxing? And he was like, yeah, how do you know? I was like, because uh, my friend Trevor used to uh, used to train there and teach there. He goes, you know Trevor? <laughs> That's and I was, awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. I had no idea. So we're actually going to the Iceland camp together in July. Oh, my God. So I, I saw that camp advertised, and my God, if we hadn't were just moving, I'd be so tempted to go. Because we flew, we, we just went to, went to Ireland, me and, my, me and my wife, and we flew yeah. through Iceland. And I was like, man, I wish we were here for... You know, longer. Yeah, it's. It, I'm interested to see everything because you know, was it Reykjavik mm-hmm. is the you know the airport? Yeah. So um, I'm going like a weekend early because I think the only way I can get away with some of this stuff is I told uh, my wife I was like, hey, uh, if we go weekend early, like the weekend before the camp, is that okay? Can I just stay and do the camp? And she's she's pretty understanding about stuff like that. That's how I did the Austria camp. Like if I take you to Salzburg for New Year's Eve, can I just stay and do the camp? And that's great. Got to balance it somehow so I don't get murdered in my sleep for doing too much jiu-jitsu. It's, it's, it's so important to have a supportive – like if you're going to be in a relationship, to have your partner be supportive. Like because jiu-jitsu is such a thing that you know it, it makes you passionate about it, right? It and so my, my wife's great. Like my wife yesterday – you know, because when people found out I was leaving, people at my gym organized a, a farewell open mat, and it was awesome. It's like three hours of jujitsu. I rolled like fourteen rounds, and we had a potluck, and it was awesome. And, and so it's also, which is cool, and like I was having the time of my life. But it's also so important that the person you're with, if even if they don't do jujitsu themselves, to be down with like, okay, here you are in your community with your friends. Look at you getting beat up by <laughs> all these people and having the time of your life and, and really enjoying it. Let me tell you a true story of customer service from Cageside Fight Company at cageside.com. So as most of you know, I'm about to move across the country to Bellingham, Washington, and I might start teaching jiu-jitsu out there. So I had shown Boomer from Cageside the logo that I'm working with, which is a pretty cool logo involving the classic jiu-jitsu triangle, as well as some fire, because there's a big mountain over there that's an inactive volcano. So unbeknownst to me, Boomer from Cageside used his custom embroidery machine to create a rash guard, a couple of hats, a pair of shorts with this logo on it. And let me tell you, they look sick. I tell you that story for two reasons. First of all, to tell you the kind of customer service and personal attention that you will get if you go to Cageside.com or check out their warehouse at 124 Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina. And second, to tell you that they have this custom embroidery machine that can do things that make your artwork look beautiful. So I want to thank Boomer. I want to thank everybody from Cage Side for helping me out and making a great experience in North Carolina. If you are interested in apparel for your fight shop or just for yourself personally, check out cageside.com. Yeah, I mean, she she's seen it. Uh, I've, I've put her through more stress probably than... Uh, I probably could have. Um, I took an MMA fight. What was it? Yeah, twenty six. Yeah, like almost two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I called her up and told her, and the response was not as positive as I thought. But she understood it, and she she yelled at me a few times. And I'm not gonna admit it was not the smartest thing I've ever done in my life. They're like, I just wanted a small fight. I'm like I need to know if my jujitsu works in MMA. Mm-hmm. And. Um, they're like, well, how would you feel about fighting for a title, fighting professionally? I'm like, uh, 
eh, screw it. Let's let's see what happens. Like I've been knocked out before. What else could go wrong? Like, <laughs> and, and and that is my advice. Never go zero to a hundred. And I just got lucky that I think maybe my jujitsu experience was enough that it kept me from getting my face smashed in. And I was able I was able to beat the dude, mm-hmm. but that was there's a lot of stress on her, but I think after that she realized she's like, "Yeah, you really do care about this. I do like understand it." And going from training six, seven days a week for that fight to teaching class three, four days a week, mm. not as bad. But that's it, it is. It's really important, like you said, you got to have somebody who at least understands it. Mm. I don't necessarily require her to train like yeah. I think it's cool if you do find somebody and you guys have that passion, yeah, and you guys can share it on the mat. But I don't think it's a necessity. I, I think some people may romanticize that just a little too much, and then that puts a strain elsewhere in the relationship. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Eventually, we're going to do a jiu-jitsu relationships show. Lourdes has been working on that for a while. And that dynamic that you described is really important, right? Because I, I think for a lot of people, the ideal scenario is you have two people who train. We're both really fired up about it. And like, we love jiu-jitsu. We love each other. We love doing jiu-jitsu together. That's cool. That, that that doesn't happen all the times, and it's certainly not the only way to make a relationship work, right? Like, yeah. for example, if you're really into jiu-jitsu and your partner's really into yoga, neither of you necessarily have to be like, I'm going to train jiu-jitsu all the time or I'm going to do yoga all the time. But you have to create space for your partner to do this thing that they really love, even if you're not into it. And, uh, you know, ideally, of course, there's some overlap, right? And, like, yeah. some couples make it work in different ways where it's like – okay, you know, one partner is like a white belt or a blue belt or like a recreational, like I'll train once or twice a week, maybe four times a month. And then the other person is like, no, no, I got to be on the mat all the time. Uh, it's just something that you have to negotiate like everything else. No, you, you're, you're right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. No, go ahead. I was just saying like I think another like realization is that you, if you're passionate about something, you got to understand how everybody's going to be passionate about it too. Like my wife was, when we were in Arizona, was very big into CrossFit and I think maybe kind of part of my realization was she's like, why don't you come do CrossFit with me? I'm like, no, why? Why? I'm, I got jiu-jitsu class. I got my own thing. And then the back of my brain goes, yeah, good job, idiot. Now you're doing like the exact – like now you know how she feels, dude. Like stop bugging her to do jiu-jitsu. So. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you didn't do the Kenny Powers. I'm not trying to be the best at exercising. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I mean like I'm not going to knock it. It's, it no. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll poke fun at everything. I poke fun at jiu-jitsu even. Oh, yeah. But, well, jujitsu is easy to poke fun at because let's be let's be real. What we do is weird, and like super what, weird, super weird, right? Like we simulate murder in pajamas and swimwear, and and the and you know I've been doing CrossFit actually because we have a CrossFit gym in the Cage Side Toro Triangle Jiu Jitsu Warehouse now. Yeah. It's super fun, and like it's one of those things where I think it's a balance in everything where you you know yeah. You know, many some people are passionate about a ton of things. For some, for me, I'm like jujitsu is my thing. I love it. I love the yeah. gi. I love no gi. I love you know the self defense aspects. I love the sport aspects. I love everything about jujitsu. And the other stuff that I do, like even yoga, which I really used to love a lot, is sort of for me a supplement to jujitsu. And so having the CrossFit gym there, it's been fun because I've been able to do CrossFit workouts. And it's not something I'm ever going to be like fired up to get up at six in the morning and do. But I view it as sort of you know something that's a like a counterpoint to jujitsu where it's like yeah. maybe if you have an off day, there's no class that day. Or maybe if you're, you're getting you ready for a competition and you want to get in shape, you know, and, uh, and again, like I don't have to understand it. You know, other folks are love it. And, and I love when people love things. <laughs> as long as you're passionate about it, that's all that matters. But 
Hey, Dev Shaw. Yes, Betsy O'Donovan. You want to know the weirdest thing about traveling with you? Do I? You do. And here it is. It's that no matter where we are, you somehow always find a fellow jiu-jitsu practitioner. That's true. It may be my collection of dozens of Toro BJJ t-shirts. Or the ears. Yeah, the ears are also a dead giveaway. <laughs> um, so my favorite example of this might be when we were in Belize City uh, at the airport on our way back from our honeymoon. Do you remember? Absolutely. We were in the airport and I saw a guy wearing a Gracie University shirt and I came over because I was wearing a Toro BJJ shirt. And five minutes later, you were best friends. So if you want to make friends and influence people all over the world, go to ToroBJJ.com and get one of their three for $25 t-shirt deals or just one singular t-shirt, all of which will introduce you to foreigners wherever you go. Also makes it less awkward when you double leg them in the airport. Like we can have more conversations than I, I've stopped spreading the gospel of jujitsu, I think, because... That's a good way to alienate friends and lose, you know, alienate family, lose friends, however you want to call it. But, like, you know, um, if they're interested, I'll talk about it. And But other than that, there's something you're passionate about. Like, I get it. You love it. That's cool. But I'm also not going to be like, uh, come to jiu-jitsu or I'm going to hate you. Yeah, like right. That. And frankly, man, I think that the way you handle it is a sign of maturity. Because I'll tell you, when, when I, this is funny. When I was a white belt in the blue belt, I was, a, <laughs> I was like that dude that is a new religious convert. Yep. I was like, you got to hear about this thing, man. And like people would get their eyes as big as dinner plates and slowly back away from me. And what's super funny, so my wife and I have been friends for a long time. Like she was one of the first people I met when I moved to Durham. And we didn't start dating each other for many years. But and I, I had totally forgotten this because we, when we started dating, we were like, oh, you know, we've been friends for a long time. How did we meet? Well, Full Steam, which is the local brewery, was one of the first big businesses to go in downtown Durham. So we had a bunch of friends, mutual friends got together at Full Steam. And this was maybe a week after Full Steam had opened. And I was like, what do you remember about meeting me? She's like, you wouldn't shut up about jujitsu <laughs> because you had just started training like a couple months ago. And I was like – and she was totally cool about it, right? She was like – but that's what I remember is she was like, man, this guy is really into jujitsu. And so uh, so as as you, you, you grow and you get older, you realize like, OK, you know, if somebody does want to ask you about it, then – and that actually comes with its own perils too because sometimes yeah. people want to ask you about it for not the right reasons. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I don't feel like the need to be a messianic jujitsu guy anymore, although I still think everyone should train. And if somehow you're listening to a jujitsu podcast and you don't train, go train. Yeah, what are you doing, man? Just, like, you're, you're halfway there. You've, the podcast is like – Going to the dark side first. You got to li- you, like, you got to train, then listen to podcasts. So. One of my favorite lines ever from this podcast was from episode one when Andrew Smith just kind of threw off on a, as an aside. He's like, "Okay, if you're really into jujitsu, you'll understand this." And he pauses and thinks, and he's like, "And if you're not really into jujitsu, I'm totally creeped out that you're listening to this right now." <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jeff Shaw. Hey, Betsy O'Donovan. So you know how we talk a lot about the difference between self-defense and competition? We do. I was thinking the other day about how submission-only tournaments are kind of the perfect marriage of those two things, right? You're getting to practice competitive skills, but you have to be able to do what you do in a self-defense situation, which is end the encounter. And I know you have an amazing story about (laughs) what happens when sport grappling is not paired with those uh, finishing skills. Most definitely. You have to be able to survive the encounter and be able to end it. And we had a guy at our academy who had learned Barambolo way too early, so he could take your back 
at a pretty advanced level, but didn't really know any submissions. And he goes into a submission-only tournament at U.S. Grappling, ends up barambolowing the other guy who was a wrestler who also was pretty new and also didn't know any submissions. And so this dude barambolos this guy over and over, so they're rolling around the mat. Barambolo, barambolo, takes his back, can't finish, other guy escapes. Barambolo, take the back, can't finish, other guy escapes. After about 45 minutes of this, our guy ends up having to tap because the other guy shoves his sweaty gi in his mouth, and a sweaty gi in your mouth will make you tap after 45 minutes sometimes. <laughs> I'm totally imagining this like a cartoon fight of a cat and dog where there's just a spinning cloud of dust. <laughs> it's like that, but with more sweat and pajamas. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think if you are ready to do a submission-only tournament sometime, first, make sure you know how to end your match. And second, <laughs> sign up for the next U.S. Grappling. Which is June 30th in Columbia. South Carolina if you want to do submission only. Favorite tournament organization is U.S. Grappling. Be sure to support those that support us. And thanks for listening. So, so yeah, jiu-jitsu and podcasting. Uh, I think they're a terrific combination, too, because, you know, jiu-jitsu is really a cerebral art. And we think about it all the time. And, uh, and so one of the things that I love, and you know, when you and I, when, when we did our first show, when you were on my show for the first time, I've also been on Rob's show, um, I asked about what your goals were for your podcast, and I still remember your answer, which I think is a great goal, which is, I just want to put out really great content. Yeah. You know, is that still your goal? Absolutely. I mean, like, um, if if you do something that becomes a chore, like, it's, you know, obviously the, the big jiu-jitsu show is a labor of love. Mm-hmm. And uh, James, who's the uh, owner of Trap and Roll, will shoot me messages. He's like, "Do you even do a podcast anymore?" Like, and you know, I'll admit we've we've uh, we slowed down for a period because of um, I've had to travel for work. I've tried to put stuff out. Like, I've tried to have at least the the forward thinking to be like, "Oh my god, I'm going to be like in South Africa for three weeks with barely any internet." I don't, really don't think I can do an interview show, so I lined up two and had those back. But then, like, um, I went to Kenya kind of last minute and I'm like oh how am I going to pull this off or we've had exercises with my unit or you know just a whole bunch of stuff and I'm like it, it it's a terrible thing because I know for a fact I'm not putting something out and my mind goes dude you're not putting something out like what are you doing but still it's like it's 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 trying to break a bad habit now where it's like no, it's okay. Well, I put an episode out three weeks ago. If I get this one out in two weeks, I mean, I'm already breaking the, you know, doing better than I did last time. But, you know, we're we're a weekly thing. And, you know, my new co-host, um, Aaron, cool guy, he uh, he trains at my school. You know, um, it does make life a little easier having somebody you can do face-to-face. Like, you know, this is a face-to-face interview. It's really awesome. And I'm, like, super happy about it. But, you know, it, um, it, it kind of gives a little more motivation to do it. But... I do want to keep putting out good content. Um, it's always still like jujitsu. There's something I can tweak. There's something I can do better. And I'm always learning and people give me feedback and I'm like, okay, we'll try it that way or we'll do this or we'll do that. Or, you know, I'm, I'm pretty open to criticism for the show. I mean, if you just call me and be like, dude, you suck. And be like, well, <laughs> can you give me like something I could fix? Like we know we suck. You just gotta give us something a little more than like give me something like fix your audio quality. Oh, perfect, cool. That's easy. You know, I, I'm gonna ask you like so. So for one thing, I have a I have a, a form, uh, trade secrets alert. I have a fake form letter that I send to people that send me hate mail. That's just like where I'm I'm actually writing it each time, but it's in the, but it's it's meant to be like dear sir or madam, thank you for your kind oh, and thoughtful beautiful. feedback. Yeah, no, it just makes them super angry. It's awesome, um, but. Uh, 
but yeah, like one thing I wanted to ask you about that I, that well, I um, I want to see if you identify with this. Okay. Because for me, because I love jujitsu and I love podcasting, for me the show is kind of a fun thing, and so if I have other responsibilities. It almost takes a backseat because I'm like – it's like a thing I get to do, not the thing I have to do. Yeah, yeah. It's – so like um, I have to go to work. Mm. I have to pay bills. I have to you know, take care of you know, adults that act like children. It's, it's just the way it is. But you know, doing the podcast is a fun thing. So if a Saturday I have to do um, – called staff duty. Pretty much I have mm. to sit in a building for 24 hours and make sure the place doesn't burn down. But then like – that's my whole Saturday and half my Sunday because I'm sleeping the excuse me I'm sleeping the rest of Sunday. Like, it's hard to do it. Like Arizona was a bit easier to do it at the beginning of Germany. Like when I first got to Germany, it was a bit easier doing it. But the more responsibility you get, yeah, I can't do as much fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Doing the podcast is fun. Like there's a list, and it's all top secret. I'm not telling anybody any of this. Like we talked a little bit about some of the stuff, but like. Plans for the show, things we're going to do for the show, and that's like, I'll get to that, mm. but I'm going to France next. I'm like, oh, all right, man, so I guess I'm going to have to scratch that one out or whatever, but it's still like, it is a fun thing to do, and it, it, like, it really does bother me sometimes, and I can't put out stuff I really want to put out, and... It's hard to have a good idea and not have the time to execute that oh, good idea. Oh, it kills me. It kills me. Like I'll sit there at work even. I'll just be like, man, you know what would be cool? If I did this and I'll write it down and just put it in my notebook and put it in my bag and then it just kind of sits there because you're like, yeah, this would be the great weekend to do it. And they're like, hey, you know, um, we got a detail we need you guys to do. Like, come on. Come on. One of the drawbacks about having a really smart wife that used to work in the podcast industry and is a journalist uh, is that she has amazing ideas. Now, you might yeah. be like, why is that a drawback, Jeff? And the answer is so often I will be working on a show or an idea or like a blog post for the website yeah, or something. Yeah. And Betsy will be like, do you know what would be awesome is if you did X or Y or Z? And I'm like, those are amazing ideas. I have zero hours in order to do those <laughs> ideas. And it just kind of eats at me. And she's like, she's like, why are you upset? Don't you think the idea is good? I'm like, yes, I think the idea is amazing. Yeah. Time. Right. God. Yeah, man. If I, if I could, uh, yeah, if I could uh, fix anything, I would just give us more hours in the day. But, uh, yeah, I would be all about that. Well, I mean, it gives me more hours of sleep too. I might, I might trade that out. You know, I'm I'm old now, so I feel like you know, old people are supposed to need less sleep, right? Is that how it works? I think no, I don't know. So like, so they talk about old guy naps. Like, that's just proof we gotta sleep just even more as we get older. I guess or I'm just getting lazier. I don't know. <laughs> well, jujitsu is all about efficiency, and efficiency is essentially laziness. Yeah, no, I so, agree. I agree. Lazy jujitsu is the best jujitsu. The word. So talking about jujitsu, yeah, are you uh, – so you, you had your MMA fight. I remember that uh, pretty distinctly. Uh, you think that's a one and done for you or you think you're going to fight again? Yeah, that's it for me, man. Like I, I was I was pretty, uh, I guess, high on the euphoria of snuffing a man's life out in the middle of the <laughs> ring. But uh, I was like, let's do it again. I'm so about it. And then thinking back, I'm like, there was a lot of – like not stress just on me but like, you know, stress on my wife – and the job and you know i I really i really do owe um a couple people from my work a lot because they would i I told them i was like look i took an mma fight is it all right they said yeah that's fine i said okay cool 
Is it all right if I somehow change up kind of like the PT in the morning to accommodate it? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Wow. We don't want you getting beat up. Or like, hey, can I go to the gym during lunch? Yeah, go for it. Like they're really, really accommodating. And like still, even though I'm like, you know, lifting weights during lunch and whatnot and, or, you know, getting some pad work in, it's like, oh, man, I still got to write that report. It's still in the back of my mind. And you're like, unfortunately, my first responsibility is to my job mm. and, you know. And that causes other stress. But, you know, f- for people who want to do it, I think it's a great experience. But you have to be committed to it or else it's going to end really bad. Like, I mean, like I said, do it yes, do it no, do it maybe, squash just like grape. Mm. Don't, and even if you do get squashed like grape, if you do a yes, it's okay. Like it's, it just happens. But for, for what it was, I proved to myself that my jiu-jitsu could save my butt against somebody who knows jujitsu as much, if not more than I do, and is trying to punch me in the face and actually actively try to put me unconscious. So I felt good about that. Yeah, I got a sweet belt out of it, so I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, no, the belts are awesome. Like, like so uh, two things about that. First of all, congratulations to you for that. One of my regrets is like just I, I, I think I will regret not having taken a fight. I did a jiu-jitsu match in a cage, and that was super fun. Yeah. Um, but like like you said, it, it, the, the training takes a toll, it takes, not just on you but on the other aspects of your life. And so I'm really happy for you that you were able to make that happen. I want to ask you a little bit about jiu-jitsu competition too. Like is, is that something that you think you're going to? you're going to pursue or is that not in your mind right now? Um, well, yes and no. So I keep telling myself I need to get off my, my butt and start training for competition. Again. I, was, I was pretty into competition while I was in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say one of the unfortunate things of not being a full-time jiu-jitsu instructor, or even one that's able to give a, like a really good portion of their day to it, like I don't get the opportunity to really focus on myself sometimes. And that you know, and that's not an excuse, but – but it's real. It and, is. And, and like that, honestly, I think for me, like, you know, to everything, there's a season, right? And so there's, yeah. a, and so like you're not training for an MMA fight all the time. You have this brief, intense period where you're training for it. And for a lot of your jiu-jitsu career, you have been focused on self-improvement, on getting better. And now, you know, there are times when it's time to pass that gift along and that becomes your focus, particularly like yourself when you have like a really full schedule with a full-time job, podcast, family, all that yeah. stuff. So. And I mean, like, I've, um, the last tournament I did was a tag team tournament in, uh, like the Austrian border. Like that's, that's Eastern Germany. And that was a lot of fun. It was kind of like, uh, yeah, this would be like good. I haven't competed in a while. Let's see what happens. And it's, it was, um, two teams. It was me and the uh, other instructor, Eva. She's, uh, the, the one who was testing for, she is a purple belt. So, oh, rad. but, um, we're like, let's be tag team partners. And then we went out there and it was, um, four teams. So it was pretty much if you win at the end, if um, it starts out two people, if you get the person in a submission, they're close, you can reach over and tag a part of their body and get out of it. Then you start standing again. And then um, you have to beat both people. So unfortunately, Eva got submitted by the first dude. So I had to like do two back to back tournament level matches. Oh, wow. And and got him, but we got second. I was happy with that. And That's awesome. And got, also, tag team jujitsu is awesome. It that, is awesome. I really want that tag team belt though. Well, just I so I could be like the Macho Man, you know, like Hulk Hogan or whatever. But one of the reasons that I'm sad Betsy didn't grow up, my wife didn't grow up watching wrestling, is so that I can't call her Elizabeth and no, like I have her understand, yeah. right? And like that that was actually uh, that was something 
I guess maybe my wife will find out about it now. I want to talk to her because I got all my Masha Man stuff. Like, if I can get her to be Elizabeth this year for Halloween, but it's like one of those things that, like, yeah. <laughs> I got the cream here. Yeah, that's my terrible Masha Man impression. But the beat yeah. goes on. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe this is that. Like, with all the people listening to the show that are fans of Randy Macho Man Savage, and I know of at least a dozen. Rest in it, peace. Yeah, R.I.P. for real. It's, it's stunning to me that was the first Macho Man impression we've ever had on the show. Which well, I'm, is, I'm honored to be part of it, man, there, really. There you go. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a landmark, landmark event here. But yeah, like, well, I, I will say this too. We've been talking about having a tag team jiu-jitsu match on Toro Cup. So, so if, you're, if you're in North Carolina, we should totally set up a, a tag team match for Toro Cup. There, there is a funny intersection between wrestling and jujitsu too, really which is. is, and I wonder why that is. But I, uh, I think it's because we get to live out. So growing up, I remember very specifically like watching. Our parents wouldn't at first wouldn't let us watch pro wrestling, which is <laughs> weird. We were also like we couldn't watch The Simpsons or because Bart was disrespectful. It was um, you know I went to Catholic school and all that. Uh, it turned yeah. out really you know, it worked well, didn't it? But <laughs> um, we couldn't watch pro wrestling because. It was violent or whatever. So we would sneak watching it. So, like, we had this old black and white TV that my grandpa had, and I set it up in my room. We got, like, you know, it was on a, oh, man, was it 22? They used to show WCW, but that was when uh, Randy Savage and Macho or um, Hulk Hogan were on it as well. The Mega Powers. Yeah, of course. But, you know, they were doing their thing, and that's, like, that was cool to me. And now in jiu-jitsu, I get to... I get to do that. From the studios of WHUPLP in Hillsborough, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. We're talking with Rob Austin, Rob the Lord Humongous from the Big Jiu-Jitsu Show. We're talking about professional wrestling and the intersection of wrestling with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And you, you know, I wanted to mention to you that it's not that I wasn't allowed to watch wrestling but my mom I'm the only child of a single mom yeah. and so my mom would uh, one of the ladies that worked at the hair shop with her would babysit me and this woman Anne who was an older lady like she had to be like 60 years old at that time was crazy into what, what then was the NWA which would, would later revol- evolve into WCW yeah, yeah. and so uh, when she was babysitting me she would put on Portland wrestling when I was like four years old and so I grew up watching like you know, the, all the, I grew up watching Rowdy Rowdy Piper, yep. who uh, got his start out there in Portland wrestling. Guys like Playboy Buddy Rose, Billy Jack Haynes, like uh, Tom Zank, who people might remember. And, of course, once a year, Ric Flair would come through. Because back in the day, the world champion, the NWA world champion, would go through all the territories. And so that sort of – so that's 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 how a Northwest boy became uh, very addicted to Southern wrestling <laughs> real early in life. And I still love it. It's still my favorite type of pro wrestling. Yeah, I mean, it was just like uh, – it was a uh it was a big thing out here. I mean, there's still like a lot of uh, local shows and stuff. Obviously, we weren't going to go to those because the parents were not not very down with it. But that's all right. But uh, you know, um, it was uh, it was fun watching it because it was all like back then. Like I understand, like for a while, it got real crazy, and I think that was kind of about the time I stopped watching it because you know I had other interests like I don't know, girls or band, being in a band or whatever. I don't know. So, but it was still always just like there's a bad guy. There's a good guy. The bad guy looks like he's going to win. He's doing all the dirty stuff. And then eventually, you know, Hulk Hogan drops the leg on him. And, you know, the bad guy has him in the submission hold. And he does his shake. And then he puts his, 
puts his hand up and, you know, hears the crowd shout, and then he just, you know, beats tar out of him, and that was about it. There's something really satisfying about it. It's it's funny. Me, me, and, me and my wife have season tickets to the, the Durham Performing Arts Center, which is where all the Broadway musicals come. Yeah. You might wonder where I'm going with this. And we just saw Waitress, which is a Broadway musical based on uh, this movie, Waitress, which I don't know if anybody has seen. But basically, it's a very sort of uh, – it's a story about a woman – like a, a waitress who becomes – who has these – who's basically trying to get out of her small town life. Yeah. And and, uh, and I watched it, very much enjoyed it and Betsy was like, what did you think of it? And I was like, this is like a southern wrestling show. <laughs> and she's like, what do you mean? And so – because she didn't grow up watching wrestling and I was like, well, OK. So you have your baby face. You, you have your baby face who starts yeah. out like oppressed and having a really rough time. She's married to this dude who's a total jerk. Does it, like not a complex character, just like a total heel. So much so that you know how in acting shows they come out at the end, everybody gets a curtain call, you applaud people, even if they were the bad guy yeah, yeah, because yeah. they did such a good job. This dude just gets booed and hissed, <laughs> and like he waves his hands like, "Yeah, I understand, I understand." Because you, it's like you can suspend your disbelief, and you know he's probably not that guy in real yeah, life. But you're still gonna boo him right out of the building, and. Uh, and the baby face makes a comeback and she gets to tell off the heel at the end and he scurries away and you're really, really satisfied. And uh, I still don't know if she fully understood why that's like Southern wrestling, but but I tried my best. No, I mean, it's a perfect parallel to it. I mean, and I think that's kind of where I think some of the um, some of the uh, professional jiu-jitsu matches are going mm, like, yeah, like and I don't know if I, you know, there's there definitely is a conversation to be had about it. And there's definitely a lot of discussion about it. Because you have people playing the heel, you have people trying to play the babyface, you have people hyping up fights. I mean, it's it, it bleeds over because professional wrestling has been so mm-hmm. profitable, has been so successful. I mean, like up until recently, could you have asked people like, "Hey, can you can you name like ten UFC fighters, or maybe let's let's go like even like five? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it'd be like, oh, I don't know." Uh, What's his name? Royce Garcia, that guy yeah. from the first one, the one of the the pajamas, and Ken Shamrock, only because he was in the WWF. But mm-hmm. people could name like you know Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Andre the Giant, uh, mm-hmm. you Ricky know, the uh, Dragon, the, Steamboat. Yeah, exactly. Like everybody, you know, Junkyard Dog, like just all these people. You can name them all because they hit. You know, mainstream. It was profitable. Everybody could get into it. It was simple. It was good, and it was kind of predictable in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, that's why I think one of the biggest things that ever happened in professional wrestling was when Hulk Hogan moved over to the NWO and came out and dropped the leg on Randy Savage. And everybody lost their mind. They're like, oh, my God, what's going on? Because Hulk has always been, you know, the good guy. But, mm-hmm. you know, now that's bleeding over and I think a lot of people are starting to do that. That's why, you know, like – but the thing is, too, like the bad guy sometimes wins. Wow. <laughs> the heel has to win sometimes in MMA and this. I, I don't know if that's really a, a route to be taken because I don't know, just personally. Mm-hmm. But for business and professionally, like if it works, it works. Yeah, no, I, I think you raise some incredibly valid points because if if it's only about drawing money, then wrestling wins because a babyface chasing a heel is always going to draw money because you want to see Hulk Hogan make the babyface come back. You want to see Macho Man fly off the top rope. And if it doesn't happen in this pay-per-view, you're going to you're going to get the next pay-per-view to see yeah, if yeah. It, it happens. And that's not really like like personally, you know, I don't want to see that as much as we do see it in martial arts because I feel like martial arts should be something more 
real, something more authentic. But, you know, again, if, if it, you know, like Mike Tyson says, check the cash register. It's super funny because, you know, we, we mentioned Jay Quitfield earlier in the show. And some of my favorite podcasts these days are actually pro wrestling podcasts. Yeah. Because when you and I grew up watching wrestling, um, you couldn't acknowledge that it was fake. Like it was what what they it was in the kayfabe era. It's, it's a it's a work, right? It's a work. Oh, I got yelled at by somebody on our podcast. Like, so it's like being you know it's fake. He's like, no, it's, it's a work. It's a work. I'm like, okay, my bad. Please <laughs> do not come through. Do not come through the radio and just smash my face. Thank right. You. Like, well, we'll see. This is what's what's kind of cool about it is like. When I was growing up, we wouldn't have even understood what a work meant because yeah. it was part of the sort of carny parlance that pro wrestlers use. Um, but now that the sort of curtain got pulled back, now you can – these. whereas in the day, like Ric Flair would have never given an interview about like, OK, here's what was really happening when I had this feud with Sting. Yeah. Or like Hulk Hogan would never have given what they call a shoot interview about like, oh, here's what Randy Savage was really like behind the scenes because you had to protect the business. You yeah. had to – and now, like, I listen to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Prichard, who was big in the WWF for many years. I listen to Jim Cornette's podcast, yeah. one of my favorite performers of all time. And I listen to the Tony Schiavone show, who was basically the voice of WCW growing up. And it's really interesting to hear all these dudes sort of break down what was happening behind the scenes. And, like, well, when you turned Hogan bad guy, did you know it was going to work? Uh, and so it's interesting to see that sort of aspect of the story get played out. Um, because I do think humans – and. I do think humans think in terms of stories, which is why, like, we either create characters, like we create the character, like a writer creates Hulk Hogan, creates Mandy Macho Man Savage, or if you're watching the UFC, you create characters in your mind about like, oh, George St. Pierre seems like an awesome, humble martial artist. I'm going to root for that guy. AJ Agazarm seems like a real jerk. Yeah. And I'm going to sort of root for that guy to get smashed. Root for Wagner Hocha to kick him in the butt off the stage. Exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, whether it happens on the front end or the back end is, is somewhat interesting. Yeah, and, and I think because I was thinking about that too with um, I think probably one of the most profitable heels, I guess if you can call him, is uh, Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. And that's oh, the yeah. thing though. Like you – everybody loves to hate Floyd Mayweather. I mean he is – Amazing! Like I'm not gonna lie, that dude's really good. And I mean, you know, it's coming from a guy who like barely throw like five punches without getting punched in the face himself. But it's um, you know, he has people lining up to pay for a pay per view just so hopefully that one person, like you know, having a oh man, Pacquiao punch him in the face and knock him out because Pacquiao is one of the best as well. Like. People were paying – was it $100 to watch that fight? Yeah, $100. It drew like $60 million that or something like that. insane. Yeah. Insane. And people gladly paid the money to do that. And he laughed all the way to the bank. And I think he's a genius for doing it. Yeah, Floyd Mayweather, as far as I know, doesn't hold any rank in jiu-jitsu. But that dude is a black belt at making money. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think he, no, he's probably like a coral belt. Coral belt, yeah, right. Like, a legend at making money. Uh, incidentally, like, like I don't know if the – one of the interesting things about being in Ireland was walking around asking average Irish people and people that train in Ireland what they think of Connor, which yeah. is weird. And that appeared, you know, because I was always like, hey, is that an act? Is he just, you know, like, no, that's actually him. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, like the, when The Rock, when The Rock uh, got interviewed a couple years back, you know, because when he first started in professional wrestling, he was sort of a white meat baby face, like yeah. a saying my prayers, eating my vitamins, the sort of Hulk Hogan template on this big, strong, good looking guy that's, you know, and, and people weren't buying it anymore. Right. It was it was a new era. Yeah. And so when they turned him heel and he's sort of being cocky and like cutting promos and The Rock said, you know, that's just me. I just turned it up to 11. 
You know, so he's not that guy all the time, but he could definitely, you know, he can be that guy. He can be that yeah. guy. He can play that role. <laughs> I was going to say just like I remember that very well too. I'm like, "Oh man, the Rock's a jerk." And there's somehow like really quickly like, "Oh, he's he's a good guy now." Oh, whatever. It's all good. Yeah, you know, this is sort of a thing. Like, I read comics too, and this is—I think comics and wrestling have a lot in common because it's serial narrative yep. that never ends, right? You know, if, if somebody dies in comics, spoiler alert: if you don't read comics, they don't stay dead usually. <laughs> um, just like if a heel turns babyface, they don't always stay babyface because you got to keep the storylines fresh. Yeah. And so, this is—it's—it's it's sort of different. Like, I, th- this goes a little for a field, but. Um, in Japan, it's not. Le- I, I lived in Japan for a while, and the big difference between American comics and American movies and Japanese comics and movies, in my estimation, is in America, if things keep making money, they never stop, and so you're not going to have like a limited series of the Spider-Man movies. It's yeah. not. They're they're not going to carry that story out to the end where Spider-Man's dead. You know, he's going to keep making money, and maybe they'll reboot it. And, oh, he's a teenager now. Oh, or, hey, here's an alternate universe now. Or, hey, we're going to have a different actor play the same story. Whereas in Japan, if uh, if you're a fan of an anime, um, like Cowboy Bebop. I was going to bring it. I know where you are going. Yeah, exactly, yeah, that's, right? That's a perfect, perfect example. Yeah, and I'm not going to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it. If you haven't seen it, go see it. But um, they're never making Cowboy Bebop Part 2. No, you know? absolutely <laughs> And I don't know if I've ever told like, like, yeah, I have a theory about Rocky, about the Rocky movies too, but we'll save that for a different podcast. Yeah, I was going to say that's why we're on like Saw 23 or whatever. Like, As long as people will go to see it, you know, people will continue to make it. And it's sort of interesting because again, everything in life is about criteria. It's about your goal. And if your goal is just to draw money, you might do something a certain way. But a lot of people are more concerned with like the art of it. Like I'm not a big fan of the Saw movies personally, but like. If you wanted to just make a really great horror film and that was your goal, then you would be like, I'm going to make one and it's going to be amazing and I'm done. Or I'm going to make three. I'm going to have a three-movie story arc and I, like Cowboy Bebop with six seasons and a movie and they're done. And um, or, or Trigun, which is my favorite anime of yeah. all time, did something like it's that. good one. Yeah, I love Trigun. Uh, yeah, the legendary outlaw Vash the Stampede. The $60 billion double dollar man, one of my favorite characters of humanoid all time. Humanoid typhoon. The humanoid typhoon. Absolutely. Dude, like one of my, yeah, one, one of these days I'm going to go as Vash for Halloween and it's going to blow people's minds. <laughs> so we've, we, so in the few minutes we have left, uh, let's, let's, let's take it back to jujitsu. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just for a bit. Um, so yeah, so what can we let, uh, one of the things I always ask people about, and you've been in the game a long time, is advice for people that just got their blue belt. Because I remember when I first got my blue belt, and it was this huge deal, and it is a huge deal. And if you get a blue belt, you should be very proud of that. Absolutely. It's a difficult thing to get. But you're also not done learning, not that you're ever done learning. But I'm curious, like, what mistakes do you think, like, or what do you think people should focus on when they first get that blue belt to continue progressing in their jiu-jitsu journey? I think it's, um, I think you need to keep the same mentality. And I always bring it back to an example that, um, so I remember getting my blue belt, and, um, I was a blue belt, dude. I'm I'm the toughest guy on the face yeah, of the earth right. now, right? Because I still kind of like had that mentality. Like it was funny. I got my blue belt in 20, 2012. Yeah, twenty twelve. And um, at that like because I had started doing jujitsu with Brian Mingy about two thousand five, two thousand six. Took that break, joined the army, and came back to it. So in my mind, I'm like blue belt because like I still have the two thousand five mentality. I'm like I am the man. Yeah. You don't understand this. <laughs> I'm going to walk outside and like just destroy people like Seagal would, except with all jujitsu. You know, I'm, you know, got a fancy new blue gi. I'm, I'm the man right now. And I go in and 
there's a guy, his name was Rob too, and uh, he was a white belt. And he took my back and put me in a rear naked choke and tapped me and my world crumbled around me because what kind of blue belt gets tapped out by a white belt? And you need to remember that something to work on that will make you better is the belt means about diddly squat, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like it's the experience. And guess what? You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a pro belt. I've gotten tapped by white belts still. Like it's okay. It, it's mm-hmm. really fine. If you're, if you're not getting tapped, then something's going wrong. And then just remember that what works for tournaments is not what you should be practicing. Obviously drilling to keep it fresh. But if you find yourself in a bad position, you're getting smacked around by people in that position, you probably need to start in that position, which is why I like I'm a bigger guy. I think not a lot of big guys have guards. That's why I like playing guard a lot. I've been playing guard for a lot. Like it just is my favorite thing now, so now I have to switch it up. But mm-hmm. practice what's bad, keep a good attitude, say your prayers, take your vitamins, and do well in school, and you'll be a successful blue belt. <laughs> you are a real American. You fight for the rights of every man. No, I think that's tremendous advice. And like the thing I want to lift up and pull out of that is that I think part of the reason that people stagnate in bad positions and like some is that it sucks to get smashed. Nobody likes it, right? It's terrible. And so like I spent about a year, like maybe not a full year, but like where I was focusing on side control escapes because yeah. it sucks getting inside control and having somebody smash your face and it's so hard to get out especially if the guy knows what they're doing and so it's like how are you going to get good at getting out <laughs> you know you got to start there yeah. and like i think i got lazy and a little complacent because like you i really fell in love with guard mm-hmm. from like high white belt to like mid blue belt and so i was like awesome this is great i'm in my gym my guard's hard to pass you know and if somebody passes there's only going to be a few seconds in the round and i can ride that out and it's like okay well that's awesome but you know what you're not working on you're not working on survival and you're not working on getting out of really terrible positions yeah which is super important and you know especially as you you know you don't want to be have a black belt on you know inside control on you who is intent on smashing your face and not letting you out and not know what to do it's a it's a bad experience i mean and you know there's obviously going to be times you're just outclassed and you know that just happens and but like just doing i've had it i'm going to keep his name on the down low because, you know, he's one of my students and I love him to death. But, yeah, just passing guard and key locking everybody does, is is not conducive <laughs> to getting more stripes on your blue belt. It just – it when you when you hit a point and you're like, oh, my God, he, uh, he swept me and now I'm on bottom side control. What in God's name do I do? Yeah, well, that's kind of where we need to be now. We need to start working on that. But, you know, it's – but with him, it's a it's – a, it's just learning. And that's that's what this is all about. So for sure, and 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 like to men- to bring up again what you mentioned about competition. Like competition's great. I love it. I think everybody should try competing. Yeah. Many, you know, and I think you learn so much from competing. But the 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 problem with it is you can be if you're really good at a particularly limited skill set, you can be really good in competition, but not have well rounded jujitsu. Like yes. if you're if if you know you're a nameless individual <laughs> is really good at getting on top key locking everybody why would you not do that in a tournament absolutely i would do it <laughs> no, it is, it is uh, in all fairness though i'm not like discounting mm-hmm. skills because it's like it, we joke about we don't beat the guy we have to survive him there's mm-hmm. no beating this dude it's mm-hmm. just survive him yeah but, but like I knew, I knew really good competitive blue belts who like had awesome guards and really good guard passing and were really successful competitively 
because that's what the game is all about in terms of scoring points and yep. stuff. But like, it, it's one of those situations where, but you know, I, I could name you three or four of these guys where if something went wrong, if they got their guard passed, if they turtled and they got their back taken, yeah. okay, now I'm a fish out of water. Yeah, and and that's okay at a certain level because we all learn at different rates and we all fill in gaps at different rates. But like, you don't want to be that guy at brown belt. You don't want to be that guy at black belt where it's like, well, if he passes guard, he's done. You know. No, I, I agree with that because then it's well, – then because I'd rather be like, you know, the guy's like, oh, he should be a higher rank than he is. Like, why is this guy a black belt? You can mm-hmm. – like you said, you can pass his guard and then it's all over. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, that should – everywhere should be dangerous. And I mean, you know, like within reason, obviously, for mm-hmm. many different factors. But, you know, they're, they're – yeah, you you need to – have an idea to do something everywhere and be and good at it for sure. And 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 there's a mental component as well that in that I will tell you like it's just a shout out some of my own training partners that I think are some of the toughest people to roll with. For me, are the people that never that always have something that they can do and that never quit. Where there there are some people who if you pass their guard they get frustrated and yeah. they're like I'm just going to try to survive this. But like I got to roll with Kim Rice again yesterday, one of my favorite all time training partners. And Shayla too, and Amber, Amber Ag, and the thing about those people when I when I roll with them is when you pass a lot of times when when I pass someone's garden into side control, I'm like, cool, I can rest here a little bit. Yeah, not with those folks, <laughs> not with those folks. That's it's awesome. like you better be working to lock them down, or else, or else you're gonna get back into the oh no, now I'm back in the dangerous guard or yeah, yeah. You know, or whatever. So Robert, is there anything I haven't asked about that you really wish I would have asked about or anything that the audience really ought to know that you don't think they, they, they know just yet? I think they ought to know that um, aside from listening to Dirty White Belt Radio, they should listen to the Big Jiu-Jitsu Show. But and that's BigJJShow.com? Uh, BJJShow.com. BJJShow.com. That's a much better URL. I know. I was like, how do we score that? Oh, my God. That's <laughs> crazy. But yeah, BJJShow.com. You can find all of our old epi- – not all of the old episodes, but the ones that we've uh, mainly got on there. The rest are coming on there. Um, we're on iTunes. We're on uh, Spotify. We're on uh, – yeah, those are the two main ones. And then Facebook page, go like it. We post up Instagram pictures once every three months. And uh, <laughs> yeah, shout out to uh, – Qual- tra- Quality over quantity. Yeah, of course. Yeah, always always good stuff. I mean, it's a, I'm not like uh, Vernon Kirk where I can crank out a meme like every week I got or every day. I got to really put my mind to it. And by that time, it's already passed. Like, like I'll I'll put one out about hey, look, haha, AJ Argazam got kicked off the stage. And they're like, good job, man. That was like last year. Don't worry about it. But and the, shout out to um, all the listeners, everybody in the NC uh, BJJ community and family, friends, love y'all. That's all I got, man. <laughs> I also want to say we love you for many reasons, Rob, but the Vernon Kirk Blast also always appreciated on this show. Absolutely. Well, we're going to put a link to BJJShow.com in the comments. Go check out Rob's show. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can get it on Google Play, Spotify, yeah. all the places where fine podcasts are available. And, um, yeah, so check out the Big Jiu-Jitsu Show. Be sure to follow uh, Rob on what he's up to. He may have an exciting announcement in a little bit. And uh, so stay tuned to what he's doing. Rob, thanks so much for taking the time to be in, on the show. Man, I really do appreciate it. I, I love being on the show. This is officially my third time on the show, but unofficially <laughs> – or I mean unofficially third time, officially second time. Yeah, well, don't worry, listeners. We'll have some bonus content for you soon. This is, <laughs> this is Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw. He is Rob Austin, and he is the host of the big jiu-jitsu show at BJJShow.com. We will see you all hopefully next week. 